Hi, I'm Amy, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey. I've been sober since February 25th of 1992, and that's by God's grace and action in this program. So, um, yeah, it's been a long journey getting here tonight. I um, <clears throat> uh, did not have the most pleasurable day in the airport one year ago, <laughs> sitting in Houston all day long just waiting to hopefully get on a flight. I think I actually, like, flew to Dallas and then had to wait there forever. I don't know. Anyway, but um, uh, I appreciate you uh, extending the invite, you know, again this year. And I'm excited. I didn't realize that there was going to be several people here that I've met before and uh, people that I know, so that's always exciting too. So um, anyway, I'm going to share with you as generally as possible. I'm usually more specific about my story. Um what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And, um, you know, I mean, this is my message of hope. And so if you're new in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, stay here, you know, hook up with the people that are doing this deal, and, you know, your life will change forever. You know, my life is um, not, it, it doesn't even compare to um, what it was when I got here. And, and uh, you know, I'm so grateful that, um, that I had the courage to stay. And that's basically what it took was just, um, you know, doing one more day and one more day. And so, um, and hopefully I'll tell you all about that. So um, I'm from a little town outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma called Jinx America. And I say that because that's what it says on the sign when you're driving in there. So I've always said that that's where I was from. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I grew up with uh, a great family. You know, my, my parents are wonderful people. Um, they divorced when I was five. They're like polar opposites you know, like politically, religiously, like anything they could not have in common, they don't. And um, so uh, so it's probably a good move. I was five at the time. My sister was a year old. And so, um, you know, strangely, you know, I have a really close relationship with my dad today, and my sister is not very close to him. And um, I'm guessing that's one of the reasons why. But um, so... Uh, what happened was my sister and I moved in with my mom, and, um, you know, my dad picked us up every other weekend, paid child support until we turned 18, and, um, you know, today I know it was just, it was very stable. Um, it never felt that way. You know, I never felt stable. I, I was never really, you know, I always, like, wore my emotions on my sleeve. Um, I always felt, like, very awkward socially. Um, I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Um, you know, I always needed attention but didn't want it. And, and um, so, but I've always been like super um, social. Um, you know, I can get along with anyone. And, um, but yet, you know, I was just so isolated on the inside. So, you know, whenever I did take a drink, it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, you know, my first drink, I was about 12 or 13 years old. And um, I uh, was, excuse me, I was spending the night with uh, my cousin, and I had tried alcohol before, and it was disgusting, and I didn't know why anyone would ever want to drink. Um, So I ended up uh, drinking some wine coolers one night, and um, this was like in the 80s, and Bartles and James was like the big thing, and and um, so I, I remember I drank seven green wine coolers that night. And, I mean, up to that point in my life, I mean, this was like the best night I'd ever had. And I was like with older people, 
you know, at the lake. We were like in a trailer and, you know, just drinking wine coolers out of a out of a cooler. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I just felt better than I had ever felt in my entire life that night. And, um, you know, honestly, like, I felt like I always had wanted to feel. Like, the way that other people looked, like, that's how I compared that. Like, you know, I felt elated for the first time in my life. Like, you know, life is good. And, and so I did what every normal person does, right? So I begged my cousin that night to go back to the store and get more because I thought if I feel this good drinking seven wine coolers, then, um, you know, how would it feel if I drank 10 or 12 or 50, you know? Um, so, um, so, um, you know, and that's how I drank from the first time I had enough alcohol in my body to change the way I felt. Um, you know, I drank to excess. And, um, so my second drink, I was, um, you know, it was probably, I don't know, it wasn't right after that, but close. And I would say maybe a month later, I was um, standing outside of a liquor store with a girlfriend of mine, um, you know, again, like 13 years old, and people were walking by and saying, you know, nope, no, not buying you alcohol. And um, But then, you know, finally the guy shows up that says, sure, you know, what do you want? I hand him that $20 bill, and I said, I want the biggest, strongest thing they have. And so he went in and came back out, and he uh, handed me a liter of Everclear. <laughs> and so um, needless to say, this night was way different than the first night <laughs> because uh, my friend and I, we, there was a dance at the school that night, and we skipped it. Uh, we went to the grocery store and bought a gallon of grape juice because we thought that would go well with that. And... Um, <laughs> We, like, climbed down in this creek, and, and I don't know how much I drank of that bottle um, because I had my first blackout that night. Um, I also um, had experienced, I, I experienced some things that I had never experienced before that night, like um, excessive vomiting and uh, the dry heaves. And um, so if you've never had the dry heaves, it's basically like you're, puking and puking and there's just nothing coming up you know you're just going through the motions and so um and this happened in front of at the pizza hut in front of the whole um you know middle school after the dance everybody went to pizza hut and i guess we thought it was a good idea to meet up with them there so i humiliated myself in front of the school and um, i think i was like trying to kiss some of the boys there and um and you know so uh one of my neighbors showed up there, I don't know how, but he drove and he had a, you know, had a, a vehicle and he drove me home with a paper bag over my face. Um, I walked up to the door, my mom answered the door, you know, I walked in, fell on top of her and um, I mean, she thought I was going to die that night. She said my lips were whiter than my face and, um, you know, she, she thinks I had alcohol poisoning and, and I remember waking up the next day and, uh, you know, my first thought was, you know, well, I guess a normal person would say, I'm never drinking again, right? So my thought was, I'm never drinking Everclear again. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I love alcohol. I think, you know, today I would still be drinking had I not experienced the consequences that I had from drinking. I remember, um, like, my fantasy as a teenager was, you know, growing old and, you know, living in this nice country home, like 
on, you know, some acres and, you know, with a wraparound porch and just sitting in a rocker with a gallon of whiskey sitting next to me and smoking a joint. You know, like, like that was my, that's what I thought my life was going to be. And, um, I mean, I didn't think about, like, all the details in between that, but, you know, that's, that was my fantasy. Like, that was what I aspired to do. And, and um, so, you know, I just, I mean, I, I drank as much as I could whenever I could, and that was my goal was to do that. And so, um, you know, what happened was, um, you know, the consequences started coming really young for me. And the, the first one, which I wouldn't even have called it a consequence, um, you know, back then, but it was, you know, everyone that was close to me, I pushed them away. You know, I quit communicating with my mom. You know, I quit, like, wanting to go over to my dad's on the weekends. Um, you know, I just, I pushed everyone away because what I was doing became a priority, you know, and I became very selfish and almost like a, like a sociopath, you know, because I didn't care about anyone else anymore. I became, you know, focused on, you know, getting what I wanted when I wanted it. And so, um, you know, I started climbing out my window, I started skipping school, and I started hanging out with kids in the neighborhood that were older than me that were doing the things that I wanted to do because the kids my age weren't doing that. Um, so, uh, so I, you know, I started getting in trouble. Um, I was getting in trouble for fighting at school, um, you know, for stealing, you know, what, you know whatever. Just, um, and it all surrounded around my drinking and um, you know I did a lot of other things besides drinking and I never asked what things were going to do to me before I ingested them in my body um, I liked some of them and and some of them I didn't uh, but you know I uh, um, ev- anything that was ever offered to me I never said no um, let's see I uh, I started working when I was like 16 and my dad bought me a car for my 16th birthday. Um, and uh, he was really good friends with this guy that restored old Mustangs. And, I mean, I swear to you guys, my dad promised me for my 16th birthday that I was going to get a candy apple red convertible 65 Mustang that had been restored. And whenever he opened up the garage, like, I was so excited, right? And it was a 71 Nova. <laughs> with four doors and uh, so if you know Nova's like the four door ones do not look as cool as the two door ones um, and it looked like somebody had like painted it with like a paintbrush and you know it was white but he's like it's great you know there's no rust underneath and I'm like what are you talking about like I don't even know what that means like I don't care um, so I you know I, I went to my room and cried my eyes out about that <clears throat> which you know yeah I, um, so the first night out in my car, you know, I was never, and I'm sure nobody has ever, ever said this, but I was never going to drink and drive, ever. And so my first night out, I lied to my dad. I told him we were, you know, me and my friends were going to this amusement park in Tulsa. And um, so we went to a keg party. And we all drove there. My friends got out, and they scattered, and they went into the party. And... And I went in, and I, you know, I was not going to drink because I'm not one of those people that drinks and drives. And, and um, it was horrible. Like, I mean, you know what it's like to go somewhere and everybody's like all loose and having a good time. And, and you know, I just I couldn't stand the way I felt in my body already. But, you know, by the time I turned 16, and, 
And um, it was miserable. So I went and sat in my car, you know, to pout. And um, there was a beer sitting on my dash. And so I'm a rager already at this point in my life. So I pick up the beer, and it's like almost full. And I threw it out the window. Well, it comes flying back in the window. So, you know, you know here, here's my, my rage is like going higher. So I throw it out. It comes back in again. And I, I got out of the car and proceeded to beat this girl up that had thrown this beer back in my car in the, in the yard of this keg party. And um, so, you know, and I tell that story um, because that night I had an excuse to drink. You know, that was my ticket. And so... What happened was I went into the party, I got drunk, I had, you know, I had a good reason to do that, and I, I drove drunk that night, and then I realized I was making way too big of a deal of drinking and driving. <laughs> so, so I, um, you know, the next day I got arrested at my dad's kitchen table, which was like super humiliating. My dad is very much an authoritarian. You know, he's not going to tell me like... Uh, you know, you're in trouble, he's going to, like, give me the silent scorn. And, like, that's the worst thing ever, if you've ever <laughs> experienced that. So, um, and not only that, but he was an auxiliary policeman. And so, you know, he was feeling very humiliated that, you know, I had put him in that situation. And um, so uh, he took my car away. And, you know, so I did what every normal kid would do, right? I ran away from home. I left and um, because, you know, I'm going to show you you're not going to treat me like that. And so I left and I was gone for about three weeks um, just, you know, drinking with my friends. I think another one of my friends, I don't know if she was like a runaway really, but, um, you know, she she came with us. She probably went home anyway. But, um, you know, so so I was just like a horrible child. And, um, you know, I remember like even well into sobriety, I did not want to have kids because I was like, if I get half of what I did to my parents, like, I don't want, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'd rather just, you know, live my selfish life and, and uh, all that. So, um, I, um, you know, I had summer jobs and, and, you know, I would just like rip these places off. You know, I looked at it as an advantage. I was always looking for an opportunity to, you know, um, take from people. Um, I, I Like, I worked at a tennis club one summer, and I loved working there because, um, you know, the ladies would just go into the, uh, the locker room and just, like, throw their bags and purses in there. And so they would go play tennis, and I would be in there, like, digging through their bags. And, and um, you know, just any opportunity I could uh, – uh, like, one time there was a young girl – uh, there that was a couple years younger than me and like I you know went over to her house and I like stole a bunch of jewelry from her and like that was my MO like I just I was out on the prowl like to take advantage of people and and um, so that summer I got caught stealing at a department store and um, it was kind of a bad scene because I got like chased out in the parking lot I was stealing a pair of shorts and, um, you know, I just had, like, put them on underneath my shorts. And I did that a lot. I never paid for gas. And, um, you know, I, I went to the mall all the time and just, like, stole outfits because I, you know, I, I went out a lot to the clubs, and I always thought if I looked nice, then guys will buy me drinks. And so, um, but I was stealing a pair of shorts this day, and I got caught, and the lady chased me out in the parking lot, and I kicked her. 
and I kicked her in the stomach and, you know, the security guy drugged me back in and I'm, uh, like, just turned 17 and, um, you know, I, uh, I feel like I had an advantage on them because my mom worked for the state. Um, she worked for the juvenile uh, justice system. And, uh, so, so I was just, you know, that teenager with a bad attitude that looked at my watch and said, well, will you hurry up and call my mom because I'm ready to go home. And I really, like, I really thought that I had, like, this free ride ticket until I was 18. I can do whatever I want until I turn 18, and I can't do it anymore. So I, I really thought that, you know, no rules applied to me. And, um, and that's what happened that day is I left, and I got drunk, and I didn't have any consequences. Well, my parents had been, like, kind of conspiring behind my back <clears throat> um, for me to go to treatment. Um, you know, at this point, I would call my mom and just be like, hey, I'm not coming home. I'm too drunk to drive. And I just used that as an excuse. Um, and so they decided to send me to treatment. And um, I was super excited about going. And it wasn't because I, you know, thought I need to do something different or I have a problem. It was just I thought that was kind of cool. Like, you know, it's cool to go to rehab or jail or, you know, things like that. So um, it's just like some, like another thing I can check off on my list that, you know, is like a bad thing and, you know, other people don't do that or whatever. So, um, <clears throat> so I went to treatment and honestly it was, it was probably the best experience that I had up to that point in my life positive wise because uh, what happened was I got exposed to um, – you guys, you know, I got exposed to my people and um, I identified with the people there. And I and I also identified as an alcoholic while I was there. I knew that I wasn't I knew when I left there I was an alcoholic. Now, you know, they gave all these suggestions and stuff. And I'm sure I had like this nice aftercare plan. And I was way smarter than that um, because, you know, what I thought was that if I just don't drink, then I'm going to be fine. And, um, you know, I had no idea that I was going to get blindsided um, by, by this deal. And, and uh, you know, I had, I had no clue, like, what was really going to happen. So I left there, and that was my plan was I'm just not going to drink. And, and I really thought, like, I'm going to be skipping in the tulips, you know. I'm going to have four kids by the time I'm 24, you know, I'm going to have a white picket fence and a husband and, you know, all this stuff. And, and uh, you know, I stayed sober for three months. And I think, yeah, three months after I left there. And um, I, uh, I totally set myself up. I mean, it's just classic, like, textbook, um, you know, what we do. And, and uh, you know, it starts in my head. You know, it starts in my head. And I, I start talking to myself. And, you know, I start telling myself. Now, at this point, I had moved in with my aunt and uncle. Um, they had just gotten really involved in a church. And so they were those people. And so we were going to church all the time. Nothing against those people. But, you know, they were super excited about it. And, and uh, so I was going to youth groups. And I had met this great group of kids. And, and so that's how my... Um, my, uh, the, like the mental part of my alcoholism started wearing on me and it was just saying things to me like, Amy, you do realize that these kids that you're hanging out with uh, will never, 
experience some of the things that you've experienced before. You know, you've done things that they will never do. Um, you know, just those kind of things. And it, and it just wore on me for a while. So I started feeling like I need to be around people that understand me. You know, I need to be around my people. And, and, um, and so that's what I did, you know. I, uh, it's kind of a weird story. So one of my distant relatives died, and I was going to a funeral. And I didn't want to go by myself, so I manipulated an old friend of mine to go by saying, I'll buy you a case of beer if you'll go with me. And he's like, sure, you know. And um, so I did. You know, that's what happened. And, and he offered me a beer, and I was like, no, you know, I don't drink. And, and, uh, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll have one. And so I, and I remember being, like, terrified. Like, I, I opened the beer. I set it between my legs. You know, I'm driving. And, you know, really, I mean, I didn't even drink it for a while. But whenever I did, you know, I couldn't stop. And so, so that night, you know, I, you know, I remember waking up the next morning and having that remorse that it talks about, you know, that terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. But I didn't have any resolve. You know, I didn't have the, you know, well, let me try sobriety again. It just, I mean, it just wasn't there at all. And so, so I ended up um, drinking for the next 16 months. And, you know, I can tell you, I mean, I got sober uh, right before I turned 19. And, um, but I can tell you that I, I know what it's like to live in hell. And I, and I know today that I created that for myself. Um, you know, I was homeless. Um, you know, nobody wanted to have anything to do with me for very long. You know, I think people would, like, take me in and feel sorry for me and let me sleep on their couch until I ripped them off or, you know, they got tired of me eating their food and not contributing. Um, and, uh, you know, because I was still just that selfish person. And, and, you know, I would wake up in the morning and my obsession would be I need to get $10. And, um, you know, I don't know about today, but back then $10 could get me a fifth of Windsor Canadian and possibly a sandwich. And so, um, you know, and cigarettes were still on the counter, you know, back then. So those were really easy to get. So, um, you know, so that was my, that was my morning obsession whenever I woke up because I would wake up in the morning and I would be shaking. And I knew that I needed to get some alcohol in my body to stop that. And so, um, so, you know, so that's, the life I was living, I, um, you know, I was getting into the clubs, like I said, um, really young. And I, I don't know about you, but, like, I'm the type of alcoholic, like, if I want something, like, I'm getting it no matter what. And so, um, you know, I'm not old enough to get into the club by far, but I do every single time. And, you know, I may get kicked out or drug out by the bouncer, but, you know, but I'm getting in. And, and um, so one night I went to this club and um, I met the bouncer, and he became my boyfriend, like, immediately. And I remember <laughs> I took a uh, sedative before I got there, and I remember, like, walking into the club, you know, grabbing my drink and turning, and I, I went into a blackout, and I woke up, like, on impact in uh, the vehicle I was driving, um, because I had left to take a girl home that was with me. She wanted to go home. And, and um, so I always forget to tell this part. So this car that I was driving was a rental car from my friend because her other car was in the shop because it had, like, I got carjacked um, 
with that car, so it was all messed up, and it was in the shop. And so I totaled this car in the parking lot of the club. I hit a fire hydrant, and, um, yeah, thank goodness that's all I hit. Um, but so I, you know, I, le- I ended up, like, driving this girl home, which was several miles away from where we were, and getting back. Because all I can think about is, like, i got to get back before last call. And um, so... So I did, you know, I, I didn't even make it all the way back, and the car died, and, you know, oh, yeah, my new boyfriend was there. And so after the club shut down and everything, we went and got the car, and we actually were able to get it back to my friend's house. And, and I lived with my girlfriend, um, Crystal. She, um, sorry for me to talk about, um, she uh, was a childhood friend of mine, and she was a stripper, and I loved living with Crystal because she always had a stack of cash when she came home from work. And I could always get, you know, a little bit of money from her. And, and um, so, but I, that night I drove the car like way in the back of the apartment. And um, when she woke up in the morning, she's like, where's my car? And I was like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened to it. And um, so, uh, so she, I mean, she ends up finding the car and all that. And, um, so the reason why I feel sad is because, um, you know, when I got sober, Crystal didn't. And, um, you know, she, like, went through a bunch of uh, um, problems, homelessness, domestic violence, alcoholism. And she started having these horrible strokes. And um, so she's paralyzed now. Like, her, the whole right side of her body doesn't work. She's my age. And, um, you know, she just, like, and I still talk to her pretty frequently but she just you know lives in like these seedy motels and and uh, you know she smells horrible and it just it makes me so sad that you know she just like stuck you know in that and and um you know seconds and inches it's like I you know I don't know why I you know I got to get this life you know because I have an amazing life and and uh you know she's she's um struggles big time so um, anyway, uh, so I uh, hooked up with that guy. I mean, he was, you know, my match made in hell, and, and we had domestic stuff going on. And, and uh, you know, thank goodness for inventories, because I would have told you that he just beat my ass, and, and I was a victim. And, and uh, But looking back on it, you know, I told you I'm a rager, and, and I always hit him first, and he was way bigger than me, and so he could with me and he did on several occasions and and um so I remember one time I had two black eyes from one hit and like a big gash in my nose and and I woke up in a blackout like my face was covered in blood and and uh you know I mean just everything was just crazy and um so uh I decided I wanted to go back to treatment. I thought that was going to be the cure and I got into this treatment center. Um I went into this uh, it was a halfway house, which I didn't know at the time. So they checked us in, uh, me and this other girl, and um, she had problems other than alcohol, and uh, she had a vehicle. So they, like, they check us into this room, and they're like, okay, you guys need to go out and get a job. And I was like, what? You know, I thought we were going to play volleyball. And <laughs> Actually, that's not true. It was in January, but, you know, bowling or something. I don't know. So, um, so we're dri- you know, we're driving... I mean, we get in the car to go look for a job, apparently. And I'd been sober for 24 hours, you know. And, and, you know, I can't, I mean, I can't stand the way I feel 
not you know going that long without a drink and and uh, she asked me if I knew where to find some of her stuff and I said sure but can we stop by the liquor store first and and we did and I remember that's the only time that I ever walked into a liquor store and bought my own you know I was had to have somebody buy it for me but uh, you know I was looking pretty rough and and I remember it vividly because um, I bought my first plastic fist that I'd ever, I'd never even seen a plastic fist before. So I guess they had just come out. Anyway, um, so, so I took her to my boyfriend. She ended up owing him some money. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you gathered from the story, but he's not a very nice guy. I'm not a very nice girl. And he basically told her, you're going to make my money back. And so um, we took her out to where the prostitutes um, are in Tulsa. And um, she got in this little red car. They left. They came back like 20 minutes later. She handed him his money, and I was like, wow, that was really cool, you know. And uh, remember, I have a warped sense of what cool is. And, and so, you know, my wheels are spinning, and they're always spinning. Like, how can I, you know, how can I, you know, get ahead? And, and so we started hanging out in that neighborhood, which I thought was strange because my boyfriend knew a bunch of people over there. <clears throat> and um, so one night I see that little red car drive by, and I told my boyfriend, I said, hey, it was him and another guy, and I said, I have a really good idea. I said, I'm going to go pull this guy over. I'm going to bring him to you, and you take his money. And they were like, yes, you know, that's a great idea. And so that's what I did. You know, I walked out to the corner that night, 18 years old. Um, you know, I give this guy some sob story. I get in the car with him. Um, you know, I drive him around to where my boyfriend is. We get out of the car. My boyfriend comes around the corner. He hits him in the head with a two-by-four. The guy falls down. We take his wallet and his ring, and, you know, he got up and left. And, you know, we got 300 bucks out of his wallet and a big fat diamond ring, and I was like, sweet, you know. And um, so, uh, you know, we uh, decided that, you know, that was kind of a good deal. I mean, I thought it was a good deal at the time. And so we, you know, we, we began to do this, like, regularly. And, <clears throat> you know, uh it lasted about three weeks. We did at least one of these a day, um, always in the same place, you know, because we're smart like that. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes there was more than one that we did. And, uh, you know, it just got really crazy, got really insane. And, and uh, you know, and I, you know, I remember when I first got sober, I was like, I was never a prostitute, you know, it's like, but, you know, I feel like, you know, looking back, like what I was doing was way worse than that, you know, because at least they were getting honest money. And so, um, so I, uh, uh, I remember I told my boyfriend, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore because it was weighing on my conscience. And, you know, it's like one of those things, like if you've been there, you understand it. It's like, you know, my alcoholism was so loud, you know, and my desire to do something different was so quiet but it was there, and it bothered me. And so um, I remember the, uh, I, I don't know for sure if it was the last time, but I remember after that conversation that we had, I walked out to the corner, and I remember praying, you know. And I wasn't raised in the church. I went to vacation Bible school a couple times. Um, you know, I wasn't raised to believe anything. Um, I had said, <sighs> a hundred foxhole prayers, you know, God, if you do this and I'll do this. And I never kept up my end of the bargain, you know, 
But that night, I didn't, you know, I didn't have one of those prayers. My prayer was, God, please let me go to jail because it would be better than this. And that, you know, that was my surrender. And, um, you know, I got in the truck with this old guy. Um, I took him to an abandoned house. My boyfriend hit him in the head with a baseball bat, and he didn't fall down, and, and so he hit him again. Um, and what happened was he, um, you know, he kind of slid down the wall. We left. And I remember, like, looking out the window where we were staying, which was right there. And the guy, like, he didn't know what he was doing. Like, he obviously had a, a big-time brain injury, and um, which I didn't even know that word then. But, you know, like, he didn't know, like, where to step, where to go, you know, anything like that. And so I, I convinced my boyfriend to take him to the hospital. And I didn't realize until the next day that he just took him down the road and, like, left him in his truck. Because we were right, you know, we were close to the hospital, probably like half a mile. And, um, but he just left him in his truck. And um, so it was on the news the next morning. I woke up. Um, they said we found a man covered in blood walking down 11th Street. And they're looking for the suspects. And so shortly after that, you know, the police are coming around asking questions and it didn't take long till they pinpointed us and, um, you know, started asking questions. And, and, you know, I can tell you at that point in my life, I was a hateful, belligerent, you know, horrible teenage girl that had no respect for anyone, even these police in this situation. You know, I lied about who I was. Um, and, and uh, you know, I was very, like, distant, I don't know, aloof, I don't know, about the situation. And um, I remember once they figured out who I was, the police officer was sitting next to me. You know, I'm staying in this house that, you know, has, like, no no sheets on the bed. You know, I don't even live here. You know, the the kitchen is basically the trash can. Like, there, there's no, like, there's chicken bones on the floor, and, like, it's just nasty. You know, this is where I'm hanging out. And... Um, with, uh, uh, you know, people that I don't know. And, um, and I remember that police officer telling me, he said, you know, Amy, he said, when you go to jury trial, he said, I'm going to be there and I'm going to testify against you that you showed no remorse for killing someone. And, you know, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, um, so we went to jail. I went to jail that day on a bench warrant for a traffic ticket that I hadn't paid. And, um, you know, I went right to interrogation, um, and my boyfriend went to, uh, he ended up confessing, like, almost immediately after we got there. He was afraid I was going to say something, you know. And, I mean, it is what it is. I'm, I have no, you know, I, I don't even think I was upset about it at the time. And, um, but, you know, I was advised by, uh, by well, my mom couldn't afford the attorney that, that they were trying to get for me. But I was advised not to say anything. <clears throat> until I had an attorney present. And so so I ended up going, um, you know, upstairs in my orange outfit. And, and uh, you know, I was just numb. Like, I was just cold. Um, and uh, But I remember, like, just feeling like, thank God, like, this is over. And so, um, you know, I was in jail for 85 days. I ended up pleading, uh, uh, taking a plea bargain for uh seven-year sentence for armed robbery, 85 days. You know, I, I left to go to prison 85 days after I went to jail. I just turned 
19, two days before I got sentenced. And um, the guy was still in the hospital whenever I left. And so, um, you know, I can't tell you exactly what um, happened to him. I know he died like four or five years later. Um, you know, I don't know what his family had to put up with. I've had extensive conversations with people in the program about that, um, people that I respect dearly. And, and uh, you know, I know that, um, you know, if that, if there's an amends to be made, that it will be presented. And, and um, you know, I, uh, I uh, made a really awesome relationship out of the deal. Um, when I was about 11 years sober, I was going to college, and um, one of the uh, teachers in my college, um, he was a major in the police department, and so he hooked me up with the detective for my case, and she's still a really good friend of mine today. Um, you know, she's invited me to come, like like she was teaching a college course, and she invited me to come tell my story um, to people that, they, you know, they're training to be police officers. And, and uh, you know, so, some really great things have come out of it. I, uh, whenever I decided I wanted to go back to school, um, initially when I went back to school, um, they never asked me on my application if I'd ever been convicted of a felony, but, you know, I took a long break there, and then I went back, and they did, and, and I was like you know, like, why would they, weird, and, but anyway, so, you know, I did what you guys taught me, and I said, yes, you know, I have, and, and, uh, you know, I would love to talk to you about it, and um, so I got this packet in the mail, and I had to get these letters of recommendation, and, um, you know, they said, if you can do that, then we'll invite you to come speak with the board of deans, and, you know, and then we'll decide whether or not you can come to college here is basically what it said, and so I did that, you know, I went through the motions, and I got my letters, and, sent them in. I had my appointment um, to meet with the board of deans and, and uh, you know, it was a hard interview. You know, they asked me questions that nobody had asked me up to that point. You know, I'm like 10 years sober at the time and, and uh, you know, my family, like, we don't talk about anything. And, you know, like, I went to prison for a couple of years and came home and it was like I, you know, like, like I never left. Nobody said, what was prison like, or what did you do, or, you know, like, nothing. Like, it was just like, okay. So I was like, well, I'm going to go do the dishes, <laughs> you know. Like, it was just awkward, and, and uh, but this was a completely different experience, and, and uh, you know, I would say they grilled me worse than the parole board did, and um, so uh, I, you know, I got accepted to the college, and that day I went back to work, and, and uh, um my friend Michael called me, and Michael had written me a letter of recommendation. Michael's an attorney in Tulsa. He's not in the program. He just um, was partners with my boss. And um, so he was like, how did it go? You know, what happened? Like normal people questions, right? And I was like, wow, you know, it was hard. And, you know, it was, you know, they asked me hard questions. and It was tough. And, and he's like, you know what? You never told me what you did. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, which was kind of strange, and and uh, so I, you know, I started telling him the story about, you know, the robberies, and and uh, and he he goes, wow, he said that happened to my best friend from high school, and so he started telling me about the guy with the little red car and how his ring got stolen, and and um, yeah, so and I'm like ten years sober at the time, right? I've told the story a hundred times, if not more than that. And I just knew that I would be at some home group one night and some guy would come up to me and be like, you know, either like, 
you did that, you know, did that to me or, you know, or nice about it. I don't know. But I just, you know, I was like terrified to even tell the story at first. But I can tell you, all of these years, that has never happened. But my friend Michael, that's not in the program, that was best friends in high school with this guy that was the only person that the guy ever told what actually happened, you know, happens to be, you know, the facilitator of this. And um, so I was freaking out. He was freaking out. And he was like, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, well, I know what I need to do, but I need to make a phone call first. And so, you know, so I called my sponsor and, and um, uh, she, uh, she was very helpful. She said, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. She just kept saying that. I was like, oh, my God, you're not helping me at And then she said, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> so I said, well, I'm going to pray about it. And she said, good idea. And the next day we were talking on the phone. She said, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm praying about it. She was like, no. Because I thought, you know, this was going to be like a six-month, maybe a year process of praying and like really channeling like what's, you know, going to happen. I'm going to marinate in this and, you know. And uh, But she didn't let me do that, and I'm so grateful that she didn't because that night I was on the phone with this guy because Michael was willing to, uh, like, be a mediator between myself and the guy. And he, like, literally, it was not... It wasn't even five minutes after I had the conversation with Michael. He's calling me back, said, yep, he'll talk to you. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, because at this point I found out the guy um, had, um, you know, he was in the hospital for like six days after this happened. And, um, you know, he drove himself to the hospital. He didn't know that. He thought somebody had driven him to the hospital and then moved him over to the driver's side. A security guard found him in the car and, you know, he had a brain injury. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, I, I had a long conversation, hard conversation with him that night. And, you know, he asked me those questions, like, what does it feel like to, um, you know, to live with that? And, and um, so, so we, you know, we were able to meet a few months later um, in New York. I got invited to this thing that he was invited to and because um, we had mutual friends. And, um, and he... Uh, you know, he basically told me like he was jealous of me because my life had changed 11 years before that, and he was still doing the same things that he was doing. And um, but he said, you know, he had found like a 12-step program appropriate for his addiction, and he had been going. And you know, I'm trying to make amends to him, and he's like, I just want to talk about God. Like, I just want to, you know. And so that's what we did, and and um, it was crazy. So. Um, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit and just talk about, you know, whenever I got released from prison, it was like the most terrifying time in my life. I had super bad anxiety and panic attacks. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember like getting up in the morning and like sitting in a warm bath and like rocking and just like, you know, praying and like, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, you know, just to get out of the door to go to work or go to school or just get out of the door. And, um, you know, it was just so hard because I, ha- I had so much baggage. I felt like I was just carrying all this stuff. And, you know, for the longest, I think for probably five years, maybe not that long, but four years after I got a person, I'd, every single meeting I ever went to, I talked about that, you know, and I, and I didn't realize, like, I was, I was 
carrying that around. Like I was wearing that and like, you know, and that was the persona that I was giving off and I was pushing people away. And, and, um, but, you know, through working the steps, um, you know, I've been able to like really take a look at myself and, and, uh, you know, do, do things differently. Uh, most people today, you know, I don't talk about being in prison very often. I mean, I do in groups, obviously. But when people find that out, they're like shocked. They're like, what? You know, and uh, and it, it, I mean, that just feels amazing because it's like it, it it does seem like another lifetime. And you know, I had the opportunity for years to take a meeting into um, the prison that I was in. And, you know, it was pretty amazing because, you know, I would go there every week and it was basically like I was checking in with them, like almost like, you know, because I wanted them to know how amazing my life was. And I had applied for this job one time and I've never not gotten a job that I've gotten an interview for. So, you know, that's why I always tell my mom because, um, you know, I, I do have a violent felony on my record, but, you know, I don't care. I told my mom, like, if I can just get in the interview, <laughs> I got it. And um, so I got accepted for this job at OJA, the juvenile with the state. And, um, you know, they told me, you got the job. And then the guy had to call me back and he said, you know what? Um, He said a few months ago we implemented a new policy about felonies and that you you can't work here if you have a crime against persons. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure I was so dramatic, like, in a ball on the floor, like crying and, you know, my life has ended. And so I had decided that, you know, I was going to quit going to college and, you know, just like the dramatic route. But the really cool thing, and this happens to me all the time, I don't know if it happens to you, but, you know, I got that little voice in my head that said, what are you going to tell those girls at the prison? Like, they knew, like, like they knew everything that was going on with me, and, like, you're just going to tell them you gave up? And so, um, so that was really an awesome thing, you know, to have in my corner was, um, you know, to have that as a motivator. And, and um, you know, I think, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, we, you know, we just learn little things that, that I like to call Jedi mind tricks. Like we can just play tricks on ourselves and, and, you know, to do the next right thing. And, and it's like, you know, we know, we know what the consequences are if we do stuff that we, you know, that aren't conducive to, you know, things that we're okay with and and uh you know and that's the beauty about doing this deal is because we practice you know i do this practice every day and um you know this has become a way of life for me um you know i've continually gone to meetings throughout my sobriety i don't go to nearly as many as i used to um i had a a child uh, a little over nine years ago Uh, his dad and i were sober and alcoholics anonymous and right after my son turned two, I found out my uh, son's dad had been using opiates for months, and um, that was his drug of choice. And by uh, Halloween, seven years ago, so it was just a couple months after my son turned two, like he had kind of just spiraled out of control. And, um, you know, I asked him to leave the house for 30 days and get 30 days and you can come back. And he never came back. You know, he's still not sober today. And so I've been raising this little boy by myself. And, and uh, you know, it's been, it's been the greatest thing and the biggest challenge that I've ever, you know, had in my life. Because, um, you, know, uh, you know, being a parent is, is uh, I mean, it's wonderful and it's hard and, you know, it really gives me an opportunity to look at myself because I can tell you that no one sees me act ugly like he does. 
you know, no one can make me act ugly like he can. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's been really great. And, and uh, you know, so things are way different for me. You know, I used to run across the country and go to conferences and do this and that and, you know, be at a meeting every night of the week if I wanted to, and it's just not like that anymore. But, you know, the cool thing is that I can situate my work to accommodate that, you know, where I can have free time and I can go to different meetings besides my home group so I can be at baseball practice or football practice or, you know, be there for him. And, and uh, you know, and that, you know, that's what you guys taught me is, is uh, you know, we don't, we don't give up. You know, we keep moving forward, even if it's hard. And so, um, you know, so it has been hard, but it's also been a huge blessing. And it's made me stronger, too. So, so today, um, you know, my life is great. You know, I, I, I have a priority every day when I get up, and that is I'm going to have fun today, um, which is so nerdy. Like, you know, like when I was new, somebody was other to me, I was like, you're stupid. <laughs> that is so stupid. But it's really true. Like, you know, I, I want to enjoy my life. And, and um, you know, this, uh, this sober thing is like, you know, we have something so special, like so special. And, I, you know, I was talking to somebody before the meeting, like dating people that aren't in the program. It's like a lot of times I feel like they're like on a different planet than me, you know. And, um, you know, good or bad, whatever. But, um you know, I'm so grateful that I, I got here, you know, I took the simple suggestions, even if I thought they were dumb, um, you know, even if I hated the people that were telling me to do it, um, and, um, you know, I stuck around. So, so what's happened is I, I have this amazing uh, support group, and, you know, I think um, being, uh, you know, connected with everyone is, is such a huge thing for me. You know, like if I miss out on going to my home group for a while, I feel funky. And uh, so, you know, so that, you know, that's my opportunity to plug in um, with what I call a source is, you know, coming here, you know, doing a little huddle and then going back out and doing life. And, and uh, you know, I'm grateful for my sobriety. I'm grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> and thank you for inviting me.